0: the RTI time machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste and the destination 1915 historical preservation comes in many flavors some people work to restore old paintings or conserve old books there are trusts that maintain old buildings And in Taiwan, there are even those devoted to preserving old tiles. In the early 20th century, colorfully painted tiles were a status symbol in some parts of Asia, above all in Taiwan. Over the past few decades, though, many of the homes that once proudly sported these tiles have faced demolition. The buildings may be beyond saving, but the tiles, at least, can be rescued. For around 20 years, one group of volunteers has been saving tiles from around Taiwan. In 2015, they even opened a museum, the Museum of Ancient Taiwan Tiles. Mr. Xu is one of these volunteers. He's here to introduce these tiles and explain what it was that got him hooked on them. Mr. Shu explains that patterned tiles were hugely popular between 1915 and 1935. People would put them on their walls, and especially near their roofs, where they were most visible and could make the boldest impression. Unlike in the West, these kinds of tiles were not used to cover a whole surface. Instead, they were often placed alone as accent pieces. They were sometimes also embedded into furniture, This kind of tile was European in origin, and it first came to Asia as a Western trade item. In Singapore and Malaysia, where they were also popular, a fair number of tiles did actually come from Europe. But during the tile craze, Taiwan was under the rule of Japan, then a growing industrial power. Japanese factories provided a still largely agricultural Taiwan with 95% of the tiles its wealthy classes demanded. In Japan itself, Mr. Xu says, the traditional wooden buildings that were still quite common were poorly suited for inlaid tiles. But in Taiwan, where brick and Western style buildings had become common, the market for tiles was there. Mr. Xu says the start of the craze in 1915 was no coincidence. At this point, Taiwan had been a Japanese colony for 20 years, and the last major resistance to colonization had ended. Mr. Xu says growing stability brought a building boom, which is what set off Taiwan's tile boom. The reason decorating with these tiles was such an act of conspicuous consumption had to do with the costs involved. Of course, as we've said, the tiles themselves were mass-produced in factories. But at the time, there was no way to paint the tiles by machine. Every single tile had to be painted by hand. This made each one a little work of art, even if the same designs were reproduced over and over again. Each tile cost a small fortune. The Japanese factories knew the Taiwan market well. While many tiles mimicked the original European designs, others catered specifically to the tastes of Taiwan's wealthy. Fruit is a common theme. That might not seem so special to us, but those who ordered these tiles would have known that certain fruits are loaded with symbolism. Seed-filled pomegranates and grapes, for instance, expressed a wish for many children and grandchildren. Peaches are traditional shorthand for long life and the sound of the word for apple suggests the word for safe and sound. This symbolic language went beyond fruit, of course. For instance, images of bats were popular because the word for bat includes a syllable that sounds like good fortune. Whether peaches or bats or bananas, the tiles came in vivid colors. The workmanship was so good that they haven't faded even after a century of exposure to the elements. The tiles were so expensive, that even the well-off might only be able to afford a few. They might be used sparingly and strategically to draw attention to certain features. Mr. Xu says every home with these tiles used them in a unique way, making each of the homes that use them a work of art in itself. You might imagine that the end of the craze around 1935 was the result of changing tastes. But Mr. Xu says that's not what happened at all. As the 1930s went on, both Japan and Europe moved towards war. The tiles were expensive, labor-intensive, and difficult to make, all traits that didn't quite fit the times. Factories in both Japan and Europe gradually stopped making them, and none of them ever started production back up again. Almost all the tiles in the Tile Museum come from old buildings that are about to be torn down. Some stand in the way of urban restructuring projects, and others are simply sold off by owners to developers. Mr. Shu notes how much the price of land in Taiwan has jumped in the past few decades. The situation in Taiwan is much different from that in Singapore and Malaysia, where many of the buildings that feature these tiles are protected. Once every month or two, the volunteer tile rescue team gets a call to come in and save the tiles from yet another old building about to meet a wrecking ball. They bring in specialist equipment like water jet cutters and cranes to get the job done. A team of six to seven workers can take several days to extract all the tiles from the walls and roofs of a home. One recent case involved rescuing 500. But these tiles are being lost all the time. For every house the volunteers get to, there are many they cannot reach, sometimes because property owners they reach out to just aren't interested. Once the tiles are safely out, the volunteers spend around a month just removing the cement from the back of them. After that, around two more months are spent removing the mold from the surface. Mold can obscure the colors, and Mr. Xu says that some tiles come back completely blackened with it. He says it took the volunteers around two years to work out how to get the mold off without damaging the design. And now with techniques like this, they may be the only group in Taiwan that can do this kind of restoration work. In addition to being difficult, the rescue of these tiles is expensive. Just getting the tiles out from a single home can cost more than 9000 US dollars. Still, the volunteers are
1: generous.
0: (laughs) Their work is so specialized that they sometimes get calls from homeowners whose homes aren't being demolished, but who just need some work done on their tiles. Though it doesn't add to their collection, the volunteers will take these cases on for free, extracting the tiles, fixing them up, and sending them back when the job is done. How did these volunteers get into this line of work and what motivates them? Mr. Xu shares his own story. While at university, he and his girlfriend enjoyed photographing old buildings with a group of friends. It happened that his girlfriend's family owned one of the old buildings with tiles on it, but no one was quite sure why they were there or what they were supposed to be. This sparked a research project, which morphed into an appreciation for these little works of art. Mr. Xu and his friends wanted to preserve these tiles, but there wasn't much they could do until they'd graduated and got jobs. Now Mr. Xu and his fellow volunteers are working people. Most still have day jobs, many, as it happens, working as engineers in Taiwan's tech industry. Still, while rescuing these tiles may be a labor of love, you can hardly call these volunteers amateurs. The groups put together a collection of over 5,000 rescued tiles, and in 2015, after decades of work, they moved their collection into a full-time home, a historic building in the southern city of Jiayi. There, over 1,500 tiles from the collection are on display, with guides on hand to introduce their history and their motifs. The museum has also taken its collection on the road, with a joint display taking place this month in a Japanese museum. Though the museum can't save all of Taiwan's fine old homes, it can at least preserve small pieces of them and bring a corner of Taiwan's heritage to the world. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time.
1: You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw.